Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline. And today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Scar. Today we will be discussing the symbol of Harry's scar, the humor in this chapter, and how the events of this book may have been changed if Harry had been honest. So getting into our synopsis, um, in his bedroom on Privet Drive, Harry wakes up from a dream with his scar hurting. He's confused, and he begins to recall snippets of the scene we have just witnessed in the first chapter, including that Voldemort and Wormtail are plotting to kill him. We get some exposition about how Harry came to be at the Dursleys, and we find out that he is a wizard, etc., basically just catching new readers up to speed. The context is that we are two weeks before the start of school term, and Harry starts to imagine what Ron and Hermione would say if he told them about the dream and his scar hurting. He briefly considers reaching out to Dumbledore or the Weasleys, um, but he rejects those ideas and finally decides to write his godfather, Sirius Black who Hedwig has been able to find, despite him being on the lam and in an undisclosed location. We find out that Harry has some advantages now that he can use Sirius as a threat to the Dursleys, such as having all of his school supplies in his room. So Harry writes Sirius a letter telling him about his scar hurting, but he's kind of vague, and he doesn't really mention anything about the dream because he doesn't want to worry him or come off as though he's a coward. So this is a short chapter, and not much happens plot-wise, but I think there's right. some interesting things to talk about here. Um, the first one being the title, um, The yeah. Scar. So pretty basic title. We understand why it is the title of this chapter. But um, one thing that I thought was interesting after reading the last chapter going into this one is that the scar, Harry's scar, which is his connection to Voldemort, is literally the bridge between the last chapter and this chapter, mm-hmm. being the second chapter title. And I think that that's interesting because it almost gives us a clue way before we will ever really learn this, that the scar is the connection um, of Voldemort to Harry. And we we learn parts of this, of course, as the series goes on. And then we learn later about Harry being a horcrux. But I think in this moment now, it's giving us a little clue of like, okay, this is not just Harry had some weird dream that was somehow a premonition to what's happening with Voldemort, is that he is actually through his scar watching this scene even though he is watching it not from Voldemort's perspective in this point right yeah I think that's a really good point there's so much to talk about in in regards to Harry's scar I mean it's the main like symbol of the books Um, it's the main symbology even in the world of Harry Potter of Harry Potter everyone recognizes him by his distinguishing lightning scar right Um, and of course within the context of the story as you were just saying it's very important because it's the symbolism of the connection between harry and voldemort it's the crux of the whole series um and i feel like this chapter in some ways is kind of like a gateway both to the rest of this book and to the whole rest of the series we've talked about before how there's kind of like two halves of the series Mm -hmm. and the fulcrum is really goblet of fire right and i think in in some ways this chapter is part of that fulcrum because you know in in the latter three books um order the phoenix half-blood prince deathly hallows um the scar is very prominent Harry's scar hurts almost all the time Mm -hmm. because Voldemort has returned and he, you know, basically is sort of nearby always um, and and is sort of like emotional or like acting out a lot. Um, And so Harry gets these little twinges like constantly, almost like he's like a radio transmitter. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But in the first three books, there's almost no mentions of Iskar hurting. It's really only in Philosopher's Stone when Quirrell is around that Harry feels Iskar hurting. Um, and of course, uh, Dumbledore sort of conjectures at the end of that book that it's when Voldemort is around that right, Harry feels nearby, Iskar hurting. Yeah. Um, but then as we go through the series, it becomes more clear that it's really, it's more than that. It's some kind of an emotional or spiritual connection that that um, we eventually learn is is the imprint of Voldemort's soul onto Harry. So that difference between the two of them, Voldemort's soul kind of grinding against Harry's, is what causes him pain. Um, and this book, or rather this chapter, is really the first inkling that something else might be going on. Right. Because Voldemort's not nearby. Harry's first thought is maybe Voldemort's on Privet Drive, but that's crazy. Right. You know, and then he starts thinking, okay, maybe it's not as simple as just the nearby location thing maybe there's something else going on so i really like the fact that this chapter kind of leads us down into that way of thinking and it primes us for what's going to come later you know being the it's not just proximity it's all these other things right and it has this grander explanation yeah it does it's and i think you know what's what is interesting is that at this point even with the dream you know harry harry sort of thinks that it's not just a dream, but he doesn't actually know. He doesn't actually know that this literally happened right now. Right. He he's maybe it you could know, have been a premonition. Yeah, like he's had stuff with you know, sort of prophecies before with mm-hmm. Trelawney, all these things. So is this just kind of like his worst fear because he's he was anxious about is Wormtail going to get away and get back to Voldemort, right. which happened. So it's all you know clearly very confusing, and he's trying to deal with it all now in this moment, um, and then thinking about what. The thinking about what other people are going to say, I think, is interesting because I think this sort of scar and his pain is this very private thing for a while for yeah. him. Is that he feels kind of ashamed of it and like, you know, maybe scars, you know, maybe scars hurt all the time. Maybe he doesn't know. Like he just sort of trying to figure out what's going on here, and he's very embarrassed about it. Ashamed is the right word. I think mm-hmm. he he hate. This is such a defining character trait of Harry's. He hates being seen as weak or incapable. Um, and being out of the loop on something, even, you know, especially his own body. So, you know, his scar hurting and he doesn't understand why, um, you see it, like his emotional reaction is to kind of question, um, whether he should even tell anybody. Right, right. You know, he's like, oh, I should maybe write to, um, you know, Hermione, but she would just say write to Dumbledore and I don't want to bother Dumbledore with this. It's not as important as, as that. Right. Even though we're going to learn later, Dumbledore absolutely would have wanted to be bothered by this. Um, then he considers writing to Ron and then he imagines what Ron would say. And then he imagines the whole Weasley family finding out. And he's like, oh, I don't want them to think of me as like some, you know, lame guy, like kid who just gets upset when his head twinges a little bit. It's just a headache, you know? Um, and eventually he's like, I just, I want something like a, a parent, you know, someone mm-hmm. I can go to about anything and they won't be judgmental. Um, and that's when he remembers that he has a godfather now. Right. Um, and even, even when he writes to Sirius, like his, you know, parent in this case, he is still not ta- talking about the dream because he's like, mm-hmm. well, that's probably not even related and maybe I'll just bring up the scar thing and this is probably just me being anxious. Like, he's just really doubting himself and having that shame. Like, it's all about, yeah, not wanting to worry him and not wanting to bother him or Dumbledore or other people, but yeah. it's also about, like, not wanting people to think that he is fragile and... That he like is you know in pain is is not dealing with this well. Yeah, and if there's another thing that Harry hates, it's kind of feeling like he um, is a burden to somebody else. Right. 
So it's not just that he doesn't want Sirius to think he's losing his nerve, but it's also, I don't want Sirius to trouble himself with this. Mm-hmm. I definitely don't want him to come back to England right. for this get you know, caught, right. and get caught. So he's like trying to be protective of his father figure and at the same time asking for his help. So he couches the complaint about his scar hurting under paragraphs of text where he's like, how are you doing? Here's how I'm doing. Here's mm-hmm. how my summer's going. Dudley threw his PlayStation out the window. Like, all this stuff that doesn't matter. And then at the end, he's like, oh, yeah, my scar hurt. What do you think about that? Um, And as we're going to see, Sirius responds in a very extreme-seeming way to Harry. Mm -hmm. Um, But Sirius has excellent reasons for responding that way. And it's really just the culmination of a bunch of events um, that have all kind of taken place over the summer and whispers and rumors and and things like that, of which, you know, the dream that Harry had being real um, is kind of like the last straw for Sirius. Right. He's like, okay, I need to come back to England now. Um, so it's a really, it's a really interesting chapter um, for being so short. And I think another reason um, I was thinking about this after we read it, and I was thinking, I don't know, and I don't have a source for this. I couldn't find anything online about it, but I think this might be the only chapter in the series where there is only one character, hmm. and I think it also might be the only chapter in the series where there is no dialogue. Really? Because okay. the only dialogue that, that exists in this chapter is between Harry and his own imagination. Right. And you could make an argument for the chapter King's Cross from Deathly Hallows, where it's Harry and Dumbledore talking. No, kind but of that's like still dialogue. In purgatory. Yeah, it's dialogue. You could make an argument that it's Harry talking with his own imagination, but mm-hmm. it still is framed as a dialogue between two people. Whereas in this chapter, it's very obvious that it's just him talking to his own imagination. Um, and I think that is, I think it is the only chapter where that's true. And listeners, if you think of another chapter where that's true, let me know. Um, but I think (laughs) the main reason for that is that it's not, uh, incredibly interesting to read a chapter of nothing but narration. Um, and I was noticing that as we were reading Mm -hmm. it, I was glad that it was short because if it had gone on for a very long time, I think we would have gotten tired of that sort of style. Right, right. It's, it's almost seems like in... And I think she does this in other books. It's like the beginning of a chapter and like there would then be mm-hmm. some, you know, another half or at least a few more pages of more action um, in terms of the way that the writing usually is in the, these books. I know why she split them up into two chapters, but I would have loved to have this like segue into the next chapter of the invitation without a, a break in chapters because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it does take place like that day. Um, and this is kind of like the night before. And I think, yeah, and I think, I mean, so we, like, mentioned that there's this info dump here where there's, like, a, you know, catching up readers yeah. if you haven't, um, I mean, it's kind of insane. It's like, of course, if you haven't read the books, like, you wouldn't be reading this book, but it's sort of, like, doing a, the summary that she's done the past two I books. Like, I feel like this kind of thing has gone out of style recently. Is mm-hmm. that true? Maybe it's not, the, maybe it's just that I'm not reading children's books anymore. Um, yeah, I think I in like children's books, they probably, they still do it. But. They might, they might. But I feel like... I don't know. Maybe it's just that I don't read children's books anymore. But I feel like this this sort of idea has gone out of fashion that, like, you'll come into a series of books that are narrative-based, that have an overarching narrative in the middle, and, like, the author assumes that you haven't read all of them necessarily, mm-hmm. and so they, they do one of these information dumps where they catch you up. They're just like, Harry Potter is a wizard, he lives with his aunt and uncle who are muggles. And blah, 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 all this stuff. And even, like, Magic Treehouse, like, those books, they used to do a quick thing every time of, like, mm-hmm. this is the way the treehouse works. explaining the yeah. treehouse, yeah. But I feel like those were, you know, th- those types of books, like that and the Boxcar Children. You can read and them those, in any order. You can read them in any order. And they're not 
serial. They're not right. like there's no narrative overarching the whole mm-hmm. series. It's like they're all one offs. Yeah. So it, for, for something like this, you know, I was struggling to think of um, another book series that had a similar thing. Like, I'm pretty sure The Hunger Games didn't have anything like that. Yeah. Like uh, Suzanne Collins was was pretty sure that you had to read each book in order to right. get it. You know what I mean? And and even in this series, I think this is the last one where there's anything like that. I think so, yeah. Um, I don't think anything else. Because c- after this, you know, Order of the Phoenix and the and the others, I think Rowling is kind of like, okay, you have to have at least read Goblet of Fire. Right. Or I'm not going to be able to catch you up. Expl- like, yeah, it's too much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is sort of the also the transition book in a lot of ways, like we said. And it's a transition from sort of the children's books to the adults' books in a way. Um, I think you know, the last book, things started to get a little bit darker, but I think, you know, first of all, the length, this is, like, the longest book by a lot at this point, and then there's longer ones later, but... I think it's 735 pages. Yeah. I think I, I, think I memorized that when I'm I was I'm sure. I mean, and that's a really long, you know, and obviously it's, like, it's, that's what these books are like, but yeah. the previous book was, you know, 300 maybe something, so yeah. it's a big leap, and there's a lot happening here, and, um you know, this is the last time she will, she will explain it basically. Um, but I think that at least this was maybe this info dump was written a little bit better. Um, you know, it's pretty concise and is kind of incorporated into this chapter that is Harry doing reflecting anyway. So it kind of makes sense. It's not just like plopped in. It's like him sort of reflecting on things that have happened. And so it, it's not crazy so that it it's in here. It doesn't come out of nowhere that there is like a narration yeah. about like who is Harry Potter and stuff. Cause yeah. Cause it's all self-reflection. I will say like compared to um, the other, the other two books in which there is an information dump, like Ch- Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban, um, at least in those chapters, like something happens. Yeah. It's whereas true. in this chapter, nothing happens. No, it's just like it's Harry not, kind not of great. ruminating and then writing a letter. Um, is this the worst chapter of the series? <laughs> I don't think so, but it's uh, in terms of interest level to the reader, it's probably up there. Yeah. I, I there were there were some chapters in Order of the Phoenix that I really did not enjoy reading, and I can't say that for any chapter in Goblet of Fire. Sure, that's true. It's it is interesting. It's this I like you said, you know, you would wanted to see it at the beginning of the next chapter. It also could have continued from the last chapter in theory. It's just this weird like um, we are in between. So I'm it glad kind that of had it didn't to continue be. from the last chapter because that, yeah, that chapter was so out of it. interesting and self-contained. Um, and there's this great transition as we've alluded to a couple times now. Um, I just I kind of wish that it continued on and there were events like yeah on the day like you know this chapter ends with like people waking he up. He goes to breakfast. Yeah, yeah and he it. goes downstairs. Like it, it's it it would make sense for it to transition right into the next event for sure. But there are. Oh. Go ahead. Okay. But there are a couple of things that um, I actually remember clearly from reading this chapter, you know, the first time or subsequent times, um, and that's some of the funny lines. So um, I find that there's some humorous images and things in this chapter oh, yeah. that Harry in Harry's imagination. So um, the image of Dumbledore on the beach, um, which is just, uh, just such a funny image, then... Just that description is something that has definitely stuck with me. Yeah, it's, um, it's like his, you know, wizard robes and wizard hat. Yeah. And he's like putting sunblock, sunblock on, his, on nose. his nose. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very cute. And then also um, 
Ron's imagined response to Harry oh, when yeah. he when he's thinking about what Ron would say about the scar. It's just a very funny Ron type of response. It's very accurate. And Mm -hmm. it sort of gets us back into the characters and, like, thinking about them in a way that's interesting. That's, like, the characters aren't here yet, but Harry's thinking about them. And we're like, oh, yay, can't wait to see them again kind of thing. And this is cleverly kind of part of the information dump. Right. Because Rowling is like, remember Dumbledore? Remember Ron and Hermione? Let me tell you about their characters. These are, like, Harry's best friends. So, like, here's... A very very quick characterization in these, and, yeah, yeah, and 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 I think that part of it is it very clever yeah, because she's using the opportunity of Harry um, thinking about writing to them as as an excuse to basically say like here is what Harry imagines Hermione to be. So it's like a, almost a caricature of Hermione, but it lets you know almost everything you need to know about Hermione. She's bookish. Um, she has a lot of faith in Dumbledore. Um, and she enjoys going to the library to research things. Right. And it lets you know everything you need to know about Ron. He's kind of funny. He uh, acts bewildered when there's weird stuff going on. He has a lot of faith in his dad and mm-hmm. in his family. Right. Um, it's true. Yeah. You know, it, it's it it's a good, quick, you know, two-line characterization of each character. Yes. It really is. And I think the humor does continue to develop in this book more than in the others. It's, you know starting to get into that more adult realm and um especially like between the kids between the teenagers there's a lot of funny things that happen and funny lines um one of the things i really love about this book is how much humor there is especially you know fred and george become more central characters yes yes um and even though their storyline in this book is a little darker um as characters we get to see them a lot more and that always is more fun here also we start to kind of see the dynamics of Harry's relationships with people changing. Mm-hmm. Um, not really with his friends, but more with like the Dursleys or people like that. He's taking a little bit more independence for himself. And you can see that in the way that he sort of responds to the situation. He doesn't want to put the onus of acting onto other people. He kind of wants to own this himself mm-hmm. and say like, I'm going to take responsibility for my scar bothering me and I'll figure out what to do about that. I just, like, I'm looking for guidance, basically. Not, like, an answer, but just kind of help. Um, And you see it in in terms of, like, his relationship with Sirius. Um, He now has kind of a a stronger leverage point, and we saw it at the end of the last book, with the Dursleys, because uh, they're afraid of Sirius. And so Harry can use that to kind of gain more parity in the house. Yeah, and it seems to have developed not only... it, It seems to be more than just oh, he can use Sirius as a threat. It seems like he has developed more confidence in himself through that. And he knows that, you know, he has this idea in his mind that, like, eventually I will be with Sirius and, you know, I have this family and that's all that stuff. So I think... It seems to have given him a lot of confidence, yeah. Yeah, and we see even in the way he interacts, you know, in the subsequent chapters just with the Dursleys, even when he's not, like, threatening Sirius with them, you know, he, he cares less about them and what they're what they're doing to him what they're trying to insult him with what they say to him how they treat him like he he doesn't care you know even more than he has um because he feels like you know superior also in a lot of ways yeah and this is kind of the thing that he's been waiting for we saw at the end of the first book he was like oh you know like it's gonna be very different when i go back home because now i'm a wizard Mm-hmm. And then things really didn't change because, because he couldn't do magic. The Dursleys figured out that he couldn't do magic, yeah. and then they locked him away. Didn't really do anything for him at the, uh, in the beginning of the third book either, um, because not only do they know that he can't do magic anymore, but also Marge is visiting, so that throws a whole like spanner in the works of the power dynamics as well. 
Um, and then finally, this book, he has some kind of leverage. Right. So it's really like this is what he's been waiting for all along. It's something to kind of get the Dursley's attention and, and say, like, you can't keep treating me this way. And that's what he finally has in Sirius. I want to ask um, one final thing before we go is, like, Harry, we've said, um, couches his letter to Sirius in sort of... Um, vague language and doesn't describe the specific events that he saw in the dream Mm -hmm. we've said also that like he's not really sure if it was real or like how much of it was real um there's this great visual description of him trying to remember the dream where it says it's like trying to hold water in his cupped hands and i love that imagery but um in any case since he doesn't really describe the dream to sirius or anybody else um, how do we think the events of the book might have changed if he had instead actually described the dream to people? I mean, it's of course it's hard to know, but I actually think it would have changed completely. I, I, I do think that especially, I mean, Sirius would have sort of been really worried and maybe found a way to, to figure something out. But if he had told Dumbledore, I think um, Dumbledore may not have, kn- have known exactly what was happening, but he may have... But he would have checked things out and he would have, you know, at least found out some more information about the fact that Voldemort was returning, where he was, like, have people more tracking those different areas, right? Like, I think it would eventually probably would have stopped Voldemort from coming to power, at least at this point. I mean, I I, can't, I guess that's sort of when I follow the logic through is if he yeah. told someone that could do anything about it. Right. And, and Dumbledore will become aware of um, Frank Bryce's murder fairly soon i think he's like so omnipotent Mm -hmm. um but the specific discussion between voldemort and right exactly yeah is what he he won't know about so you know he'll know if harry were to tell him all that he would then know not only that voldemort had killed frank bryce um and that he was staying at the riddle house you know he probably has moved on by now but you know at the time um, that means he's back in Britain. And then also that Wormtail is helping him mm-hmm. and that they have some kind of a plan to abduct Harry Potter. And he would know, obviously... He would know about Bertha Jorkin's death. Yes. And and they make an inference about this um, unseen, you know, loyal servant. Mm-hmm. Dumbledore could probably go down the list of people who that could possibly be um, and start to kind of narrow it down. And know. see, right. And, and he also knows about... The tournament, obviously, Dumbledore mm-hmm. knows about the tournament at this point, and so would know that that could be a potential, like, weakness in the school in terms of, you know, being able to infiltrate. Especially because of the Bertha Jorkins connection. Right. Um, because she was at the ministry, she knew about the tournament, so that could be, like, the, the crux of their plan, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, probably good that he didn't do it, because then there wouldn't be a book. <laughs> there but... wouldn't be a book. Um, um, and this is such a terrific book, so. But it is something that is interesting for Harry's character to know, and I think he continues to do this, despite the events of this book happening, is that he will, like, be worried about something or have an intuition about something and then, um, you know, keep it to himself, not want to burden anyone, etc. Mm-hmm. And things go really badly um, when, if he had asked for help and been honest, you know, things could would have gone better in this case thank you all for listening to harry podcast and the scar we hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter 
If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially the significance of Harry's scar within the greater series, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. Also, email me if you find any other chapter where there's no dialogue and no other characters. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we open up Chapter 3, The Invitation. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.